Hello and welcome to Zero Net 50. I'm Jennifer Deloney and with me is Joel Stronberg. How's it going for the new year in Washington, Joel? Well, it certainly started out with quite a bang. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The best the best thing that's happening in Washington at the moment is it's a very mild winter. Today is a nice sunny day, close to 50, and we're supposed to get up to 60s during the week. So um, wow. I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that as a sign of better things to come. So we'll see. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, but, you know, so just a quick look at what's uh, you know what's been going on in Washington would be a great great place for us to start and see you know just a general overview of what you're seeing there well actually I mean besides the impeachment um yeah. debacle I mean it's yes, which is um, stealing at, all right. of the attention yes uh, absolutely and I mean it's going to end just like everybody thinks it's going to end I mean he, yep. he's going to he's going to still be there the and yep. they'll still be yelling at each other across the aisle. Um, yes. But while all this was going on there, I mean, there actually, there's actually been uh, activity in Congress. Um, and the Democrats on the uh, House Energy and Commerce Committee um, have actually released their draft legislation, draft energy bill, um, 620 pages long, um, which uh, I'll get through at some point. But I, I have to admit that I haven't read it all Um by now. Um, what it does do, though, is it cuts across uh, various sectors. I mean, it's not it's about energy, but it's also about um, improving the uh, housing stock and, and um, efficiency and conservation. Um, it it actually is a lot broader than any bill that, that I think has been put out there in a, in a very long time. Um, part of this, I think, is a reaction to the Green New Deal concept that um, I mean, has, has obviously kind of taken up the, the entire conversation. But uh, in Washington, as far as policy is concerned, and probably also on the uh, campaign trail. But what it's done is, I mean, the Democrats really do understand um, that it's important for them to be able to kind of produce a broad vision. The, the bill's not complete. I mean, the, the, um, by any means, and they admit to that. It's also not particularly bipartisan. It's in a somewhat unusual situation where the, just the Democrats on the House Energy and Commerce Committee wrote the bill. They didn't ask for any uh, Republican input. Um, Republicans have done that in the past before, too. So they're, right. I mean, in, in some sense, it, it, it wasn't particularly um, rude in this kind of an environment. Um, it, interestingly, the, some of the uh, environmental groups, including the uh, Sierra Club, don't like this bill. Um, and seem to be more judgmental than they are. Well, we'll we'll work with you on this sort of thing. I, we'll see how that changes. Um, but one of the things that the bill does is it doesn't get rid of natural gas. Um, it does it does accommodate it at least for a while. The other thing the bill does is it doesn't reach net um, uh, 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 net. Uh, zero on uh, um, emissions, I'm sorry, until mm-hmm. 2050, mm-hmm. Um, which is 20 years beyond where um, right. the progressive uh, folks are, are saying, but yeah. but it does reach for zero net 50. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that becomes an issue. And um, all this is prefaced by the fact that whatever's going on this year is not going to, is that not actually going to happen on one side of the aisle? Or the other. Um, the bill also, I mean, allows for cap and trade, which has never been very popular uh, up on the hill, and is particularly not popular with Nancy Pelosi. She tried that 
that legislation in 2010 um, with the uh, um, with the Markey bill, and it just um, it just didn't go anywhere. There uh, is some opportunity, I suppose, for a carbon tax in that, which also was a non-starter for the for the the more radical Green New Dealers. What it does, which I think is very positive, is it opens the door to um, a national clean energy standard, which mm-hmm. I still think is going to be something that uh, um, will have new life um, and strong support once people understand that the carbon tax is just not going to happen. I mean, people do not want the carbon tax. Mm-hmm. Um, just as the Democrats have come out with their bill, interestingly enough, Kevin McCarthy, the minority leader in the House, actually call Republicans together um, to develop their own um, climate energy plan. And uh, this is somewhat startling, I, I think, that, I mean, we're, we're looking at people that um, just months ago, basically, um, said that, I mean, they denied climate science and they said there's nothing wrong with, you know, the climate change isn't real and, um, you know, it's just a hoax and that sort of thing. To the point where now the, I mean, the Republicans, conservative Republicans, um, are actually sitting down and talking about what it is that they need to produce. And they're doing that because they understand that um, younger Republicans are on the same page as younger Democrats for the most part. I mean, they recognize that climate change is real and they want somebody to do something about it. Now, the Republicans haven't put out their bill yet, but but we understand some of the elements that it's going to have. It's going to support the trillion trees um, goal that actually um, Trump said he would agree with uh, in Davos. Um, and it'll deal with um, plastic refuse and recycling. Uh, it'll do more research um, on clean energy opportunities and carbon change. Uh, uh, carbon sequestration. I mean, in essence, their bill is, it certainly isn't going to be very far reaching. And a lot of it is mm-hmm. going to be proposing things that, that were all right 10 years ago. But the fact of the matter is that they're admitting to the fact that there is climate change. Um, right. And they seem to be somewhat willing to do something about it. The other thing that's happened is that um, the Democrats will be, re- uh, have actually released their infrastructure bill, um, which has a price tag of somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, $800 trillion. Um, now, that's another bill that's not going to go anywhere either. But in the bill, they've also included climate initiatives, including um, building out the infrastructure for electric vehicles um, and working on the uh, the distribution system as far as the, uh, the grid and stuff is concerned. Uh, again, it's not going to go very far, but they came out with a bill. Um, the White House, they came out with a bill in anticipation I think not only of the election, but to be able to draw Trump out on this. You know, this is one of those promises that he's made that has not been kept. I mean, it's mm-hmm. not even close to being kept since there's no legislation. And um, what's going to happen is there, there's some legislation moving through on the Senate side, um, but it's going to be not only conservative, but it's not going. It's going to be dead on arrival in the House, probably just as the House bill is going to be dead arrival um, in the Senate. The thing to look at in this in this particular bill, and I think it's going to be a theme that runs through a lot of legislation as far as an issue is concerned, is that the Democrats have, have trotted out this bill of you know the price tag of um, nearly a, a trillion dollars, mm-hmm. but they haven't talked about how it's going to be paid for. Okay, so that and and Pelosi indicated that she's not going to talk about how it's going to be paid for until they get some agreement from the White House as to what it is that they can agree on that should be paid for. But what's going to happen is that the, the, the White House has been very set on um, on using the private sector. Um, 
Trump has talked about, and, and so has Newton and um, Ross at Commerce, about um, doing a series of uh, tax um, credits and, and what have you for private industry um, and allowing pro the, the private industry to build roads and use and charge tolls. That's not going to happen. I mean, that's not going to happen. Number one, the, the, the companies are not going to be very um, desirous of this, of this kind of an approach because it's 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 unstable. I mean, the thing is that the Republicans might offer it now, but the Democrats at some further date could pull it away, number one. And, and number two, that that their the profitability should not be on uh, coming out of tax credits. I mean, it could actually be coming out of something else. Um, the other thing that's going to happen is that if you if you allow the private sector to do these building uh, building you know infrastructure, what they're going to do is they're going to choose projects that obviously can make them the most money, and that's going to be um, in certain urban areas, um, in bridges that they can charge tolls on, tolls that probably will be quite steep. And so I think there's going to be pushback on that. And the other thing that's going to happen is that the, I mean, the, the private sector is not going to invest in rural America. And that's, I mean, that's something that needs to be dealt with, um, not only on the infrastructure side, but also on the climate change side. And I just don't, I don't see private sector getting into that. It's just, I mean, it's, it's, it's too hard to, um, to make money when you've got this kind of dispersal of population and what have you. So what's going to happen is that they'll, they'll do cherry picking and then the other stuff won't happen. So we'll see how that how that works out. But but again, the the, the real issue is going to be how do you pay for this? And before the election, um, nobody is going to want to want to pass or even think about putting a bill in because the the, the debt is already I mean off the scale. And right. uh, it's somewhat odd to see the Republicans continuing to try to add to the public debt when for years they were they were screaming about the Democrats doing this and I mean. Mm -hmm. um, you know, yeah. it's the shoes on the other foot. So what I see what's happening in Congress is that, uh, you know, basically the appropriation bills are taken care of. There'll be some discussion on uh, additional discussion on maybe extending the uh, uh, tax credits for uh, biofuels and uh, electric vehicles, maybe. Um, mostly what we're going to have is just kind of a conversation and people are going to be kind of lining up what their what their policy proposals are that'll that'll position them best as they think for the for the election and then after the election we'll see what happens there's i mean okay. all bets are off because we don't know who's going to come out on top not only in the white house but obviously um uh both in the house and the senate so mm -hmm. uh, there'll just be a lot of there'll be a lot more talk my guess is that by the time we get to um may that um congress will pretty well much go home and do campaigning and and um, only come back and do the the absolute essentials. But again, like I said, most of the money that government needs to be uh, running is is there, and there's no chance that uh, uh, they'll let the government uh, uh, shut down at the end of the uh, September 30th, uh, at the end of this fiscal year, with the uh, November elections uh, facing them. So mm -hmm. that's that's Washington. Oh boy! <laughs> In a nutshell. Well, uh, you know, you, you're touching on some important issues there, talking about, you know, the, uh, the financing of, of all of our dreams when it comes to greening the economy. And, you know, ultimately, any conversation about the green transition comes down to who's going to put a financial backing behind the necessary changes to our structures and systems to 
reduce emissions. Um, and it, we've seen figures come up that are in the trillions and trillions of dollars that are needed to make that change. Um, and we're seeing a pretty significant rise in the green bond in the green bond market to meet that need. Uh, the Climate Bond Initiative, or CBI, projected that we will need to see an annual green bond issuance of a trillion dollars by the end of next year. So 2021-2022 is when we want to see those big numbers. And it's important to watch how we're progressing to meet that need. So I wanted to give a quick overview of data that came from CBI in January. They haven't done their full 2019 mm -hmm. outlook, which they're expecting to release anytime now, so people can keep an eye on their website for that. But their preliminary figures are interesting. Um, the initial report of green bond issuance during 2019 uh, put those issuances at a record high, even beating CBI's initial estimate for the year, which is nice. Um, they said annual green bond and loan issuance for 2019 was about 255 billion as mm. of the end of December. And that's up 50% over the 2018 figures. So that's a, also an, a good increase that we can see as long as that continues as a trend. Uh, CBI says that uh, 2020 should reach about $400 billion. And, uh, you know, from there we can see it expand, but um, issuances by country was led by the U.S. at $50 billion, followed by China and then France. And interestingly, in the U.S., the top issuer in, in the world was from in U.S. was Fannie Mae at about $23 billion. Uh, and that's because Fannie Mae has this interesting green bond program that is targeted at energy and water efficiency improvements in the housing industry. So um, it's it's interesting to note Fannie Mae's program targets more than just a positive environmental effect as a standard for success. They also have what they call this triple bottom line where you have to have the environmental effect as well as a positive financial effect by lowering credit risks and increasing property values. And it also has to have a positive social effect by creating affordable and higher quality housing. So they do more than just look at the emissions, which is. Uh, that's good. interesting. You know, I, I think that just to jump in for a second. Yep. Um, I think there's I mean, there seems to be a trend. New Jersey, for example, um, just passed a law that builders um, now have to account for climate impacts. Um, mm -hmm. And um, I mean, this is just something I think this is the first in the nation. Um, yep. But the fact of the matter is that, I mean, money people want to know um, what the impact is going to be. And, and, and they're assessing the risk in a way that um, is, is, is forcing um, a lot of sectors to begin looking at climate impacts because the, the, the money people um, won't lend money unless they do. Yeah, they want to know. Well, they the do. the cumulative effect of the investments through Fannie Mae as of uh, early last year showed that utility expenses would be cut by 20% through these investments and their green bond program. And they're also going to realize uh, water reduction in uh, the round of about 6 billion gallons total, mm -hmm. not an annual, and then also an annual decrease in greenhouse gas emissions of 287,000 metric tons. So, you know, they, they aren't just looking at, you know, our, what are the end results, but also how are, how are we mm -hmm. also, what's our metric for success? Yeah, just, um, just one other thing, yep. too, I think, you know, also being, 
I, I mean, this is terrific that they're doing it because one of the things mm-hmm. that that um, is not discussed often enough. I mean, whether it's the Green New Deal or or the Republicans talking about what they want to do um, is efficiency, and especially on building stock. I mean, the thing mm-hmm. is that it's I mean, this stuff lasts for 50 to 100 years. So I mean, right. if you're, um, I mean, the impact the the impact and the savings are are, are cumulative. Um, and the fact is that I mean, efficiency should be the first thing of any um, sustainable plan because if you, I mean, why power something? Um, beyond what it actually needs. And so yeah. you, can cut, you can cut down the demand, whether it's water or power or building materials or anything else, by actually being efficient in what it is that you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, there's some understanding at this point is, you know, as we look at the green bond market uh, over the next 10 years, right now we're seeing a very large um, investment in energy and infrastructure, buildings, that type of thing. But there's going to be a shift. Uh, One of those shifts is going to be towards agriculture and Mm -hmm. making the agricultural system far more sustainable than it is and cleaner and greener. But um, there's there's another shift towards uh, resiliency. And if we look ahead at November, um, voters are going to be asked to approve green bonds in California that are Uh, resiliency related. Uh, Among the ballot initiatives is a request from the governor for nearly $5 billion billion for resiliency projects that address risks from floods, fires, and drought, which is obviously just part of the issue when we talk about the results of climate change. Um, We talked last year at length about the growing attention to resiliency, and we should recognize that these resiliency bonds are or they're going to grow at least in the next five years and definitely in the next 10. Um, but lawmakers in California are also putting forward two bills for voters to consider directly re- related to resiliency. And both bills have the same name. And I'm going to say it because it's really silly. Wildfire Prevention, Safe Drinking Water, Drought Preparation and Flood Protection Act of 2020. Don't you, you just know, love you, lawmakers? Yeah, yeah, right. You wonder who, who dreams up these names, you know? Like, well, the bill. Yeah, right. Was, yeah. yeah. You know, they, they basically have to come up with something that nobody can say, oh, right. that sounds bad. Or it's like, that sounds so bad. I can't vote no for that. It's right. one of those. Or, or they, come up, they come up with some title that. I mean, that that contorts the English language um, just so that they can make a word out of it, you know. <laughs> exactly. So anyway, that's a very quick peek at what's going to happen in terms of green bonds just in the next 10 months, what people are going to be looking at for the election. But I think it's a perfect time to stop and, and talk more about, you know, what are we all going to be expecting over the next 10 months and not just that, but if X, Y, or Z happens in November, you know, what do we see after that? And I know you have plenty to say on that point. <laughs> um, <laughs> you may be sorry that you asked. I mean, it's, <laughs> I mean 2020, things are changing. I, you, know, um, you and I have discussed before, and I've, I've written a couple of articles, for example, on the um, on the Juliana case, where um, mm-hmm. the three-judge uh, panel in the, in the ninth uh, 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 circuit in the appellate level um, basically said that um, that the Juliana plaintiffs don't have standing to sue. Now this is after four and a half years. Um, you know the the case would have would have created a, a, a constitutional right, but but 
beyond that, what's happening is that I think that people are beginning to see that the courts, they can enforce regulations, I mean, uh, you know, whether it's to tell the, the, the Trump administration that they have to do you know, more or to approve what they've done. I mean, so in a regulatory sense, the courts have a role to play. But I think what people are also understanding is that the courts, the courts, these novel theories are not going to get people where they need to be, both in time and the fact that they're 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 very time intensive. Number one, and and the fact of the matter is, that the courts are not going to charge um, Exxon Mobil um, for the damage done in Baltimore. Um, and tell them to come up with gazillions worth of dollars. So what's happening is that you've, you've got to change there. In, it's already starting in 2020, and, and the literature is showing the fact that, that some of these novel suits, I mean, they're good, but um, they're, only, they're only good for certain things. So that what's happening is that, that there's going to be a turn, I think, into other issues. And one of the things that's happening, too, and I think one of the things that's, that's accounting for some of the Republican interest in climate change is we're getting visuals now. I mean, this is, uh, think of Australia. I mean, if, mm. if you want to think of the, of, of the world, uh, you know, um, being affected by climate change, I mean, the worst of it, look at Australia. I mean, they, yeah. uh, over a billion animals presumably have been killed and it's going to wipe out some species. The, the fact yeah. is that the, the fires have, have, have effectively doubled Australia's um, emission amount. Um, mm-hmm. We're seeing floods. I mean, what, what's happening is that people, I think, are becoming aware of the fact that climate change not only is real and you have to you have to be resilient, but you know, hey, let's do something about it. Now, mm-hmm. what that is is going to be a real issue, and I think that what we're seeing in the campaign, um, the Green New Deal is 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 playing an outsized role. That um, you know the as limited as environment was as an issue in 2016, it's kind of burst upon the scene now. And um, in, in part because of, of, of Ocasio-Cortez, um, but somehow the world is just, uh, they've been triggered. I mean, so they want to talk about it, but it's, it's going to be used by the Democrats, I mean, it's going to be used by the Republicans to talk about socialism um, and to kind of, uh, and really try to radicalize people thinking about what the Democrats um, are going to end up doing. And um, the Democrats, obviously, are going to, you know, are going to radicalize um, the, in the opposite direction with Republicans. Um, and so it's going to be really interesting to see the role that this plays, not only at the presidential level. I mean, we're getting that fight now. And what's happening is that um, progressives are attracting certainly the younger. I mean, it, it's interesting. I mean, you, you get septuagenarians running for office that that are supported by um the under 35 group okay and so that and they're very active i mean and this is something that um it's going to be interesting to see how how this comes out and whether or not the purity tests that people are very nervous about um are going to be imposed on this because if if it is then what's going to happen you're going to see some splits in the democratic party um the other thing that you're seeing is the the sunrise movement um, Justice Democrats. These are these are all part of the youth movement groups. Ocasio Cortez, the um, you know other progressives in in the House, um, are actually focusing also on congressional. Um, and in some cases, they're they're supporting incumbent challenges. For example, in Texas, um, the current uh, member of Congress in the 28th Texas congressional district. Um, 
is Henry Cuellar, and he's very conservative, but the district is also very conservative. It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's oil intensive. Um, right. What's happening is that these groups, these progressive groups, um, have now endorsed a challenger to a, a sitting Democratic um, member of Congress. And that's that's something that is going to be occurring, I think, more often, and it's going to create a bunch of um, nervous establishment politicians within the Democratic Party. So it's going to be interesting to see how this works out. And I think that um, the look at the Green New Deal um, kind of as the stalking horse um, for the progressives and to see how this is going to work out. Um, one of the things that's going to happen is that they're going to have a big fight over the rules um, committee. They're already having a fight on that. And I think that you know, the Republicans have pretty well purged their their ranks of anybody that's not a Trumplican. Um, the Democrats are still going through this kind of identity crisis. Um, you know, are we progressives? Are we establishment? Um, who's electable? Who's not? It's. I think what's going to happen is we're going to we're going to see in the first number of uh, states that are the early states that are Iowa, New Hampshire. Um, we're going to be seeing sides being chosen and themes being accepted or rejected. Um, Trump actually went to Iowa uh, last week, even in the middle of the, uh, the impeachment um, and to, you know, to raise the troops. And he really, I mean, he really lit into the, to the Democrats and, and clearly he wants to see, he wants to see, I think um, uh, Sanders uh, or Warren actually be the ones that kind of emerge through this, at least in the early stage, because he gets to be able to, to call them, you know, this kind of socialist scourge sort of thing. But, mm -hmm. but we're under, I mean, we're seeing where this is going to happen. And again, environment plays into those things. The people in Iowa um, are going to be asked to either choose the more progressive agenda, again, where you know, uh, climate is is important to the to the progressive candidates, um, or whether they're going to kind of take this kind of lower uh, lower tier. The the you know, let's let's be stable let's you know let's be moderate sort of thing and um so that's that's gonna be really interesting to see what happens the other thing that's gonna happen is that at some point bloomberg um is gonna get involved in all of this who was also i mean again i mean these candidates are all willing to talk about climate so it's gonna be interesting to see how how trump re responds to it at one level and how the members of congress that are running for re-election or election for the first time, uh, handle the question of what are you going to do about climate change? And I think that, you know, it, resilience, it's great that, that money is coming into resilience. But the fact of the matter is that, you know, that tells you that we're that that we've done too little too late because right. because now I mean, bad things are happening and we have to we have to deal with it. Yeah. I think the other thing that's going to happen is that you know, just as the green bond is moving, one of the things that we've seen lately is investors, I mean, big investors, not, I mean, not, not somebody that owns three shares of ExxonMobil, but I mean, investors and investor groups that, that are talking about billions of dollars are now writing companies and saying, you know, you've got to do something about accommodating and accounting for climate change. Even the Fed is actually gotten, is getting involved in that now. And what's happening, I think what's going to happen is that the market is going to take care, um, to a large extent, uh, as far as the fossil industry is concerned. I mean, they're not going to be they're not going to be willing to pay for pipelines, even if Trump is willing to give them the permits. And you know, this has been this kind of constant fight. And and the fact is that the president, for example, in the Keystone um, pipeline situation, 
the president actually issued a permit um, to the Keystone people to be able to build part of their um, pipeline because it, it crosses an international boundary. The fact is that, that a lot of people, I mean, investors no longer want to be able to, to no longer want to invest in this. They're, I mean, they're, they're obviously investing in renewables in a new way, and they're, they're investing in green bonds in a new way. Um, and so I think what's, what's happening is that there's kind of this transition going on um, on the outside, whether or not it's going to be reflected as far as government's concerned is going to be an interesting situation. But I think that that's something that that is going to be kind of unfolding. And I look at 2020 now, um, I said, no, I mean, nothing major is going to happen as far as legislation is concerned. Mm-hmm. It's going to be very interesting to see how the various arguments are treated in various places um, and how um, the industry begins responding to the more specific uh, recommend or uh, spe- the specific uh, proposals of the various the various candidates. I think that mm-hmm. people are going to be looking for specifics more than they ever have before. This is I mean the, the issue of you know is climate change real is just I mean, people don't talk about that anymore because right. it is. So now they want to know what are they going to do about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think that uh, you know I, I'm working on a piece now where I'm worried about. The Democratic Party blowing itself up um, yeah. of, of the inability of the party to actually figure out how they're going to deal with with progressives and the establishment. Like I said, this fight is continuing to go on. And if the fight continues to go on and the 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 Bernie bros, if you will, feel that they've been. um feel that the, the nomination is rigged, which they which they felt in 2016, mm-hmm. then I think what's going to happen is the Democrats are going to lose. I mean, they, they, they won't be able to create um, enough, uh, they won't get enough votes. I mean, people will just either not show up or, uh, as I'm writing in a piece now, I mean, 12% of, of Sanders supporters in, in 2016 voted for Trump um, because they, I mean, for whatever reason, I mean, they, they, they didn't like Clinton or what have you. And so I think that the, the, the Democrats are the ones that are really on the cusp now. And um, they have a chance to win this whole thing, but they also have a chance of um, kind of deconstructing themselves um, because of the, the progressive activity one. I mean, they, this is, time is, has run out. Okay. This is what, this is what's happening. And, and so you also get the youth movement in this. Uh, this has been an interesting period of 18 months. I mean, I think that what's happening mm-hmm. is that, that we've, for years, there hasn't been actually a dialogue going on because at least one side of the conversation refused to admit that there was a problem. And now everybody's kind of talking about the problem, but we're going to have to see how they're going to uh, come up with solutions in a way that actually satisfies people who see disasters wherever 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 they turn and mm-hmm. um and so i think that we're in this kind of a period that we don't know how it's going to all work out i mean it's if uh, you you get these different scenarios i mean if a democrat wins the presidency um well what's going to happen in the congress and probably the house will stay um a democrat but the senate may not so that mm-hmm. do we i mean that's that's kind of a gridlock scenario in a certain way unless obviously unless people start dealing with each other more honestly. If Trump wins, then, and the House still stays Democratic, um, 
I think there might be a chance that the Senate would turn Democratic just because people want to kind of. That's also a gridlock situation. Um, and so, you know, if if Trump wins and the Republicans take both take back the Congress, well, we're going to get a scenario where um, there'll be some things done and there'll be trees planted and they'll talk about you know plastic recycling and, and what have you. But Trump is going to continue. He is now. I mean, to to just kind of strip all the environmental protections, not just Obama's, but um, he's going to go in and start uh, looking to change the foundation pieces of legislation that I mean, right. that actually were I mean they were passed 50 years ago. Right. People have to understand. I mean, this is we're dealing with laws based. Uh, they've been somewhat amended, but the Clean Air Act, the Clean Water Act, NEPA, the National Environmental Policy Act. Um, they're all being threatened by the Trump administration. And notwithstanding all the discussion that the Republicans are talking about, you know, as far as you know, climate change is real and what have you, you can't really talk about climate change, doing something about climate change without having some kind of environmental regulation. And mm-hmm. this is also something where um, if, if Trump prevails and the Republicans prevail, they're going to take government, you know, I think, in a direction that is going to be um, somewhat opposite from what the the private sector, what the insurers, what the investors, what the companies are all doing. And so I think what happens is that we we really create a a mess that is going to take years between the court cases and and putting back legislation the way not just the way you found it, but I mean, somehow updating it. And I think that's the other issue that we're dealing with here is that if the Democrats win and they have the majority of the Congress and the House, Mm-hmm. One of the things that I think they and the Senate, I think that they have to begin looking at the foundational laws um, and actually creating a situation where executive orders um, can't just simply undo them. And that's, yeah. uh, you know, since I, I read a piece the other day that um, Sanders is, is is his staff is working on uh, a collection of executive orders, um, which to me indicates that. He's expecting that, you know, if the Democrats win, they won't take the Congress. And so once again, we get into a situation where it's the executive that drives um, the agenda, which just it, it's not going to be possible to actually be effective in in combating climate change as long as we're dealing with executive orders that can be done and undone. The other thing that's going to happen is that and I'm not sure how the United States is going to deal with this. I have a feeling I know how he. Trump would want to deal with it. But, you know, Europe is now talking about uh, I mean, Europe is committing to a more aggressive um, uh, agenda for 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 becoming, you know, um, net zero uh, emitters. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that they're uh, will be, it'll be interesting to see how they come out with it, too. But one of the things that are going to be what's going to be interesting is the, the EU is already talking about um, charging a kind of climate tariff, if you will, um, to companies that don't meet their standards for um, uh, as far as emissions and what have you. Now, now what that'll do, I mean, Trump has already threatened them in, in Davos that if they do that, he's going to start another trade war over mm. over just this. And mm-hmm. um, that could prove to be I don't know what exactly. But the fact of the matter is that I think one of the things that the United States is going to have to come up with um, or is going to have to realize if they continue down this kind of um, we're not we're not really going to um, 
do anything about climate change actively as far as, you know, our corporations and stuff and our regulations is that the other countries of the world can make the United States do that. I mean, there's there's a danger that um, in Trump's use of tariffs and in his his denial of, of um, climate change. And this is again, I mean, Congress is going to have to figure out how to take back some of the power. I mean, the, the Constitution does not say that the, only the president has anything to do with international um, economic issues and right. the Congress has just kind of let let the, the executive do yeah. this and, and yeah. it was true of, it was true of Obama as it is of Trump and the fact of the matter is that the United States is going to get backed into a corner if these other countries begin to become more aggressive about it and mm-hmm. and I think one of the things that we see in the Australian case is that Morrison the, the prime minister I mean basically just ignored the the fires initially and I mean he got he got banged around a lot over the fact that he was on vacation in Hawaii while this was occurring. But what happened right. is that the sheer scope of this was such that, um, I mean, Morrison is, his political life is on the line now because of his position, his traditional position on the production and continued use of coal and the export and what have you. Well, the environmental movement in Australia is a lot more invigorated than 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 that he was prepared to actually deal with. And I think that mm. that's, that's he's going to change. And I think that, again, we're looking at Australia and certain things that are occurring in other countries. And if we think that that's, that's not going to happen here, then we're kidding ourselves. And, and yeah. again, that happens. I mean, this is a situation where if, if at the end of the elections on, you know, on November 4th, we have a situation where um, Trumponomics, if you will, prevails, then what's going to happen is the United States is going to be put in a very unfortunate position. Now, whether or not that that draws the, the Republicans into a more um, substantive discussion with the Democrats, we'll have to see. And whether or not the progressives um, are, are willing to allow moderates to actually begin to more gradually get to where the progressives would like to get to. I mean, 2030, 2050. Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not sure anybody knows. Um, and one of the things that, that that's also coming, I think, as this as this all happens, and as people now begin to think that, well, gee, you know, we really do need some kind of climate um, defense plan, if you will. That that a lot more pressure is going to be put on the scientists. I mean, the, the fact is that there, all, all the models. They haven't been bad. I mean, it's. I mean, a lot of what they've been predicting is coming true, but there are still things that we don't know about. There are other situations where you know new research is coming up and saying, well, maybe it's not as bad over here as we thought. Maybe it's mm-hmm. worse over there. That that we're going to have to rely. I mean, we're going to have to rely on what the scientists tell us, but we're also going to have to be able to support the scientists. And this is something I think that is also it's an unfortunate part of Trump's. Um, presidential legacy is that, I mean, he's basically purged scientists out of the federal government. I mean, yeah. Um, to, to the point where, where they almost can't function. I mean, this is, you need, you need substantive information to be able to, to actually conform to the law. I and mean, if you have to write a regulation or if you want to roll back a reg- regulation, you still have to have some scientific basis. And one of the things that Trump has found lately is that even his, I mean, you know, EPA just basically purged all the, all the Obama scientists, but they purged, yep. I mean, they, they purged very reputable 
researchers out of the out of out of the, off of the advisory boards and stuff. Well, what's happening now is that they they pack the boards with their own scientists who are now telling EPA um, that you know your science, excuse my word, sucks and you yeah. cannot I mean cannot regulate on the basis of what it is of of your wishful thinking. Um, mm. and, and these are Trump scientists saying this so that. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's the other thing that has to, and, and it's not talked about enough in the campaigns, is how are you going to put back together the the, the scientific community um, that the Trump administration has basically tossed to the wind? Um, where are you going to get the information that you need to be able to, not only to regulate, but I mean, even to, to establish policies that, that, that expertise um, is no longer available, uh, at least in, in, in most of the executive branch. Now, there, there is some in, in the national laboratories and things, but the fact of the matter is that we've, we have got to be able to look in a very broad way as to what it is that needs to be done. Part of it's just going to be putting back structures that, that, that um, have been dumped out over the last three years, and a lot of it should be updating legislation. Now, whether or not the United States, under any presidential regime and under any party regime is going to be able to do that is something that I think is still on the table. A lot will happen as a result of, of this of this year's elections. And I think that it's really difficult to call. I mean, I'm said yeah. I'm coming out with a couple of articles and and I admit, I mean, it's easier to it's easier to identify problems than it is. Um, positive places where things are going to happen and right. um, and to anticipate what the, what the election is going to be. So, I mean, I think that we all need to buckle up and just expect that this is going to be one hell of a ride. Mm-hmm. It is. And so you said you're, you're working on a couple more articles. Um, anything specific that people can look, keep an eye out for? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing one that um, basically it's, it, it talks about whether or not, the Green New Deal is going to end up being a Green New Democratic Party, and uh, and I'm focusing on the conflicts within the Democratic Party between um, the the progressives and and the moderates. Uh, um, I'm also going to be doing um, a piece shortly on what I uh, more specific about what I think 2020 is going to bring as far as uh, federal activity, uh, regulatory activity as well in in the courts and what have you. Um, and so I'll also be doing a, a piece after the probably after the New Hampshire um, primaries to kind of update um, the politics of this. And I think that I mean, 2020 is the year of climate politics. And so um, the other thing that I would encourage people to do, um, I know this is a bit self-serving, but the fact of the matter is, that, you know, I come out weekly with the uh, climate politics newsletter um, mm-hmm. that you can find on, on my Civil Notion site. Um, and that'll kind of give people a. Uh, weekly blow by blow of, of what's going on. Um, and it also probably um, trigger a, a series of articles that I'll, I'll anticipate and put in those, uh, I'll, you know, I'll put the previews um, into those newsletters. Mm-hmm. Well, I know I'll be gripped, so I'm sure other people will be as well, because there's a lot at stake in 2020, so it's going to just be fascinating to hang on for that ride, you're saying. Well, <laughs> yeah, that's, <I> do. <laughs> all, <laughs> that's all we have for today. Thank you so much, Joel. It's great to get your insights for the coming months and leading up to the election in November. 
Um, right. And thank you to our listeners for joining us. You can tweet questions and comments to hashtag ZeroNet50 and have a great day.